Good morning, everyone. Thanks. Morning. Happy New Year. So, um, my name is Scott. Um, I'm a chaplain in UCD, um, and uh, I also run uh, the, well, I help to run the young adults ministry here in uh, Holy Trinity. So, if you are a young adult, um, you know who you are, um, and some of you know who you're not. Um, you are welcome to join us again on Thursday. We start again on Thursday, this coming Thursday, which is um, the 10th of January, I think, uh, at 7 o'clock here in the church. It's supposed to run from 7 till 9. It really runs from about half 7 till 10 or so, uh, and uh, we meet in the side room here uh, on the couches, and we have, it's basically just a two-hour Bible study followed by tea and toast. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I sent this out on a message to like a bunch of our, uh, uh, to our young adults uh, just before Christmas, um, because I'm a gigantic sap like that. Um, in 17, I've been, I'm 35, I've been in full-time youth work, youth ministry, young adult ministry for 17 years. And, uh, and this is my favorite thing that I've ever got to do. So if you're part of that demographic, you're welcome to join us. And if you're not part of that demographic, uh, no offense that this isn't my favorite. So, today is a very special day in the church calendar. Um, it's the first Sunday of the new year, but it's also Epiphany Sunday. Um, and Epiphany Sunday is when the Western church celebrates Jesus revealed in flesh, but particularly to the Gentiles, to those beyond the people of Israel. And they're represented by the Magi, um, uh, for the, the visit of the Magi. Uh, and that's the passage we'll be looking at this morning. And we were reflecting on these men who visit Jesus in Bethlehem and come from the east. And sometimes we have this picture in our head as like this, uh, like a birthday party or a, or a um, br- well, basically breaking out in a stable or a cave where Jesus was born uh, with these weird and unusual guest, uh, guests arriving with gifts to celebrate Jesus' birth. And as I was um, preparing, I, it reminded me of two tricks that I played in the past. I didn't realize the kids are going to be in today. Um, you might want to just get their hand mufflers on. Um, uh, because me and my friends, we used to get invited to Uh, We had family friends who, uh, we were the oldest kids amongst them, so we would get invited to our family friends' children's birthday parties, but we would be, like, weirdly old to be there, you know? Like, when you're 14 or 15 years old and you're at, like, at a nine-year-old's birthday party, you're, you're not, like, feeling like this is the coolest place for you to be, so we would come up with ways to deal with that. So I want to tell you about two tricks I used to play. One of them is called the dripping tap. It's a very simple trick. All you need is a needle about three or four inches long. And you go over to the refreshments table, and you take the stack of kids' cups, and you put the needle through the bottom of all the cups. It's just one motion, guys, one motion. Because obviously, it would be terrible to just take the drinks and pour them all over this person's house. But if you find out a way to do it, you can get the kids to do it for you. And so each time a child picks up a drink and walks around, they gradually empty it it all over the house, and no one is any the wiser. Um, Guys, it's a new year, new resolutions. Don't work harder, work smarter. Um, The second one is called the ticking time bomb. So we did this at a party with family friends um, where... uh, (laughs) <laughs> where two of our, uh, the, the, the two youngest kids who were there for this birthday party, um, they were absolutely wrecked and their, their parents were about to take them home. And so we grabbed the two boys, I think they were about 
probably five and nine at this point, and, and we just so would you like a drink before you go home? And they were like, yes, absolutely. So we passed them both a, a can of, a, a glass of Coke, but what we didn't tell them is that we'd poured three teaspoons of sugar into each of the Cokes, and it's called the ticking time bomb, because if you time it just right, the sugar and the caffeine will hit just as their parents are trying to put them to bed. <laughs> um, now, I don't believe in karma, uh, but I fully expect that one day I'm going to pay for this. Um, so we can imagine the arrival of the wise men at this scene as, like, as being a, a, a birthday party. But today we're going to look at like, some misconceptions about the wise men, some misconceptions about how this kind of played itself out, and dig into some of the beauty in this story uh, in Matthew chapter 2. So we're in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Wise men, came from the east. wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and we have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herodly secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. I've preached on this uh, uh, passage a couple times, and it's funny going back to a passage that you, you have become quite familiar with, because there's always something new within it. And I was struck by like, the beauty and the magnificence of both Scripture and our lectionary, um, uh, because as you dive into it, you find that like, your journey with Scripture can be like, um, can be like a, um, a journey in a mine where no matter how much you mine, how much gold and jewels and beauty you find within it, there's always deeper and darker places to go to within it, always mysterious places you haven't been to yet that contain this richness that, um, that never runs dry. And so this morning we'll cover some familiar ground, but we'll also dive into some, um, uh, some ideas and challenges, some new ideas and challenges. Um, first, um, though we often refer to them as three kings, uh, we actually don't know how many of them they are, there were. Um, we often, I think we probably say three because um, there are three gifts, and we can't imagine someone arriving at Jesus' birthday party without bringing a gift, so we're like, well, there must have been three of them. Um, there's actually an Irish expression for this I came across it recently, um, it's, my it's become one of my favorite expressions. Um, it is, uh, if you arrive at a gift with a, uh, at a party where you're expected to bring a gift without a gift, it is said that you arrive with one arm as long as the other, um, which I think is just such a fantastic expression, and we can't imagine one of the wise men arriving with one arm as long as the other, and we imagine they must have something in their hands. But church tradition actually also leans into this, and according to tradition in the Western church, we actually, like, over time, um, there is said to be these different names and roles and responsibilities of these different kings. And so you have these three different kings, Melchior, who is king of Persia, Caspar, king of India, and Balthazar, king of Arabia. There's actually no evidence within the text for this, but that's how tradition has evolved over time. 
But it's also a little bit unclear what Matthew actually means by magi. We hear, um, we hear the word magi, sometimes we hear the word kings, and sometimes we hear wise men, all of it which we've, we've either sung or read before, but they may also have been Zoroastrian priests from Persia who are known for their astrology, or they could even have been sorcerers because the word magi is actually the same word um, that is translated in Acts for the character of Simon the sorcerer. And so we're actually not 100% sure what their roles or responsibilities or lives were like. Were they kings, rulers, um, astrologers? What, what, we don't know what, what kingdoms they're from or what exactly they did there. And then the third misconception is that they showed up on the night of Jesus' birth and were like pushing past the shepherds to get into um, the, uh, to, be, to get beside the manger. But in verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men, came from the, uh, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. In verse 2, they asked Herod, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? Jesus had already been born at this point, and so they're arriving some point in his early infancy, but this could have been days after the birth, but it could have been weeks, it could have been months. We don't know exactly how and when, what stage Jesus was at when they completed their journey, we just know that they followed him, that they followed the star and they found him. And you have this amazing juxtaposition within the, within the text between the wise men who have come somewhere from the east. We don't know their names. We don't know where they come from. We don't know exactly what their roles are. We just know that they saw a star and they followed it. They wanted to know how deep the rabbit hole goes. And so they set out on this journey. And then you have the reaction of the, um, the Jewish king and the people of Jerusalem when the wise men come along and hear him. The, the wise men begin this journey with humble curiosity. The idea that they don't have all the answers and they don't know how this story ends. They don't know where this journey is going to take them. And then they're met in Jerusalem as they seek out the new king that is to come to usher in a new kingdom. And when they seek out this new king, instead of the people being excited or inspired or hopeful, the people are afraid and so is their king. Jerusalem was the center of um, the political, the cultural, and the religious life of the Jewish people. It's where the temple is and where the people of God are waiting for God to break His silence. Because it's been 400 years since the last prophet, Malachi, until Jesus comes into the world. They're waiting with bated breath for God to break His silence. But the problem is they've learned how to live in a world that is broken. And so they know that when, when Jesus comes into the world, when the Messiah comes into the world to fulfill the promises of old, they, there's the part of them that is, um, of course, excited about it, but this other part of them that's, well, I've learned to live in a world where corruption is the norm, where I cheat who I cheat, or I, um, uh, I, I spend what I spend, I sell what I sell. I'm involved in all these different corrupt systems that are just making our way in this broken world. And I know that when Jesus comes into the world, He's bringing a certain kind of kingdom, and that's going to affect the way in which I'm able to live my life. It reminds me of that quote from St. Augustine who said, Oh Lord, make me chaste and make me celibate, but not yet. The people want to, uh, the Messiah to arrive, but not yet. Because they're afraid, because they know the promises that the Messiah will fulfill. In the lectionary for this Sunday, our Old Testament reading is from Isaiah. And the psalm is Psalm 72. And in these we read of what the kingdom this Messiah brings in will be like, what this Messiah 
will be like, what his heart will be like, what his ministry will be like, what, his, what he will seek in this world. This is from Psalm 72. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to a king's son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. May the mountains yield prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor, of the people. Give deliverance to the needy and crush the oppressor. May he live while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may righteousness flourish and peace abound until the moon is no more. May the kings of Tarshish and of the isles render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations give him service. For he delivers the needy when they call, the poor and those who have no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy, and he saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. It's beautiful and it's stunning, but it's particularly beautiful and it's stunning if you're amongst the poor, the crushed, the needy, and the oppressed who are crying out for deliverance. But if, as it says in in verse 10, all kings will bow down before him and you're King Herod, you're kind of like, I don't know if I want this guy to show up just yet. In Isaiah 60, it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from far away, and your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. You shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice, because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba will come. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and they shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. So the wise men come, and they must be perplexed, showing up in Jerusalem, where they're like, we have followed the star, we have unraveled the mystery, and a king has been born to you and for you and for your redemption and for the redemption of the world. And they're like, we don't know if we want that king even if he's ours. But the wise men, they have it right, and they come and they come bringing gifts. And their gifts are both perfect and wrong. First, they bring gold for a king. Then they bring frankincense, which is a a type of incense that would have been used in religious ceremonies. So they bring frankincense for somebody who shall um, live out the role of a priest, leading the people into the presence of God. And these two are a fulfillment of the promise in Isaiah. But then they bring a third, and the third is a little bit of a mystery. It's called myrrh. Um, the thir- um, myrrh can be used for a variety of different things and was in the ancient world. It's a kind of resin, and it can be used um, for anointing, which is a big part of it, but it can be also used as a painkiller. And so it has this dual thing of um, we bring gifts for the king, the priest, and then this third gift is for the anointed one, or a painkiller for the one who will suffer. They bring gold, cold, hard cash. They bring frankincense, beautiful in its smell. 
They bring painkillers. They know the gifts to bring. Somebody who's just had a baby. And each of these gifts is kind of perfect in its own way. And yet, Matthew kind of sets it up beautifully because throughout the Gospels, Jesus will actually reject what each one of these gifts represents. He rejects gold. In Matthew, we re- later on in Matthew, we read, A scribe then approached Jesus and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I have no palace. I have no gold. I have not come seeking wealth and power. In John 6, it says, when Jesus, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself because he would eventually become king, but not, not king through conquest, but king through canotic, self-emptying love. They bring frankincense for a priest but Jesus' relationship with the temple was tricky. He wasn't seeking to become this, this, um, a part of the religious authority and system that was dominating and oppressing the people. He was seeking to, to liberate people from it. And so in John 2, we read, making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Jesus said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And he was not referring to the building. He was referring to his body. And so the gold is the right thing to bring. And yet Jesus is a different kind of king. The frankincense was the right thing to bring, but Jesus was a different kind of priest. And then they bring myrrh. And in one of his final acts, Jesus rejects the offer of myrrh. In Mark 15, it says, Then they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, and they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. They bring him the opportunity on the cross to lessen his pain, to say, I don't want to feel all of this brokenness. I don't want to feel all of this pain. I don't want to, I want to limit my suffering, and Jesus rejects that as well. You see, the wise men bring the right gifts for a king who will rule a kingdom based on the values that shatter and wound our world. But Jesus refuses them because he's a different kind of king who invites us to a different kind of kingdom. His kingdom is not based on greed or power or fear. It's based on compassion, kindness, and self-emptying love. Which brings us back to the beginning of the story in these two reactions to the Jesus who is coming into the world. We have the wise men, foreigners, outsiders, heretics, According to the religious authority, these are the wrong people of the wrong race who live in the wrong place and worship the wrong gods. And yet here they are, humbly and authentically, seeking out the God who made the star that they follow and has now been revealed in flesh. And then we have Herod and the religious authorities. They have all the clues, all the writings, all the prophecies, and yet they either want to ignore the Messiah or they want to wipe him off the map. Why? Because they're afraid that Jesus' birth will challenge them to change. This for me is one of my favorite things about the kind of the tension of working in chaplaincy in UCD. I feel like I I meet wise men all the time, wise men and women, because they're the kind of people who knock on your office. These wonderful conversations of the people who are just like, I saw a star and I followed it. I just want to see where this leads. 
I want to seek out what it means to live this life well, what I was made for, what I was made in the image of. And there's been these beautiful conversations of these students who are like passionately seeking out what this light in the sky means. And then we have the contrast of that. The working alongside students for whom their belief in Jesus is not, an invita- is not a response to the invitation to build His kingdom. It's a way in which they want to use Him to prop up their kingdom. And so, in a weird way, we're working with people who are like following a light in darkness, trying to see how deep the rabbit hole goes, who don't know any of the answers, but just know that they won't be happy until, they're, until they've really dealt with their questions. And then others for whom, as we begin to talk about what this kingdom looks like, are no, well, that's not my Jesus. My Jesus lives according to my rules. My Jesus would never say those things that you just quoted me from the book in which he says them. And you live with this tension. And we as a community, we live with this tension between the reactions. It's the first Sunday of the new year. Some of you might have made a resolution. You know, this year I'm going to start going to church, and I'm really sorry that you picked this week, right? My bad, my bad. So this might be your first Sunday in a while. It might be your first time in church full stop. And you might feel like you have more questions than answers, like you've walked the wrong path, or like you're not the kind of person that God is looking for. But the beautiful truth of Jesus and the kingdom of God is that He is looking for you whether you're looking for Him or not. And you're welcome as you follow the star on your journey. Or this might be one of a thousand Sundays in church for you. And you might have all the right passages highlighted in your Bible. You might have all the right verses memorized and all the right theological principles nailed down. And you still might be afraid that God showing up powerfully in your life would would challenge you to change. And you might be hiding from Him rather than seeking Him. You might be using Him to prop up your own kingdom instead of you responding to his invitation to build his. And either way, whether you're, whether you're Herod or whether you're a wise man, you're invited to the table. You're invited to be part of the kingdom. You're invited home. You're invited to be part of this movement that brings hope, restoration, redemption, and transformation to everything that touches. When you find the one who made the stars beneath the stars, inviting you to find Him and be changed by Him. Let's pray.